Christy Bilbrey. Right after college, I started my career in the Senate press office and then the White House. For the next seven years, I worked in corporate marketing before starting my own business. As soon as I did, the one thing I realized that none of those experiences taught me was how to market myself. Promoting yourself can mess with your head. Discovering brand storytelling and learning how to put it to work in my messaging saved my business. Once I learned this, I started teaching other business owners how to put it to work in their business as well. I created the Business That Story Built podcast to help strengthen the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell others. Audiences crave the human side of businesses. They want to get to know you, follow you, and interact with you outside of the buying experience. This can be intimidating to say the least. If you're ready to take your mindset and your messaging to the next level, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining today. I'm really excited about today's interview. We are in the Thought Leadership Series, and today we have Taylor Payne. He is the CEO and co-founder of SpeakerFlow a software and coaching company dedicated to helping experts leverage systems to take control of their business and stop spinning their wheels. As an award-winning marketer and sales professional, Taylor's core philosophy is that systems, the technology, people, and processes in your business are key to your success. If you want a business that's predictable, one that you have full control over, one that empowers you, and one that continues to grow, systems are the answer. On a personal note, Taylor's a car enthusiast, musician, and extremely left-handed. I'm left-handed too. That's really cool. no way. Yeah. Yeah. Super well, cool. Like, how, like I noticed that there's like a spectrum of left-handedness. So like, are you capable with your right hand? Are you like one of those people that use your mouse with your left hand or like how far do you go left-handed? <laughs> well, okay. So I will cut I was taught to cut right-handed because it was yep. just easier for my parents Same. I do use a mouse right-handed just because that right. was yeah trained but you. I can play tennis I can bat I can do so I can do sports and things either yeah wow um, really either that's impressive either yeah and writing is pretty sketchy right-handed but I've definitely <laughs> yeah. tried for fun <laughs> for sure I totally hear that yeah what yeah, about you fun. Yeah, pretty much. I'm not one of those left-handed mouse people, but I am like, like really on the, like the musical side, extremely left useless huh. on the right-handed end of really? things. Yeah. To a point where I had this uh, violin and violins, they're meant to be held this way, I think. Yeah. Where your left hand is the thing controlling it and you're using your right arm to bow, but you can't really like just flip the strings on a violin to play left-handed the way I right. would want to. So I had it like reconstructed. So they flipped the baseboard on the inside just so I could oh, wow. play the violin left-handed. But I, I I realized in that moment, I'm never going to go like be at an orchestra. I'll never be able to play for them because <laughs> I'm going to be like that one violinist pointing yeah. in the opposite direction. So no, uh, yeah, that's basically where I land. When there was a time I was attempting to learn guitar. And so it was restringing everything because it was already strung yeah. for right-handed. And I was kind of like, yeah, this is going to be a pain. So I never really sure. piano. Yes, because, you know, you play with both yeah. hands, but no, no guitar for me. So I hear you. Yeah. My first three years were spent upside down on a guitar, basically. <laughs> so I definitely know what you mean. <laughs> 
Well, Taylor has a very interesting background. And so I would love for him, before we really dive into the meat of what he's going to share about thought leadership, I want you guys to just learn a little bit about who he is, um, where he started, and how that has progressed. So take it away, yeah. Taylor. Yeah, well, thank you so much for the intro and stuff, too. Um, you know, what's uh, funny is like, I don't know about you, but like, it's not like I ever planned on like being here, <laughs> you know, like it was never like you just kind of stumble into this crazy world of like thought leadership, I find. And my story very much is is like that. But um, basically, I had all these instances growing up where I was entrepreneurial, but I never knew it. Like hmm. when I was 12, I went door knocking on all 20,000 homes inside of the town <laughs> that we grew up in to mow lawns. I landed two clients, not very wow. good at sales at that point in my life. <laughs> I just wanted to make some money because no one would hire anybody below 15 years old. So I was like, all right, I'm just gonna go knock on doors and see what happens. So landed some lawn mowing clients. Thank you very much. Yep. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, throughout the journey, I also got into like, I don't know, like uh, computers and stuff and hacking mm -hmm. them basically and mm -hmm. people would pay me to do that. And so I started doing that when I was like a young kid and I was like a teenager. And anyway, I had all these moments of being entrepreneurial that I didn't really notice. Or I didn't even realize until I was in my mid twenties, basically. Uh, Cause I wasn't even like really exposed to the idea of entrepreneurialism or anything. And growing up, my family was very poor. My dad had renal failure. So he wasn't oh, able wow. to work. My mom worked gas station jobs. Basically we lived in these like tiny apartments that were converted from like old army barracks and like the wow. 19th. And like, as a kid, it's not that I was really like fascinated with like having money that wasn't like my core drive but I wanted mm -hmm. a better life just generally speaking sure. than the one I was growing up in and so I was kind of on this path of like how do I create that and I had some different role models in life where I was like how do I create that life for myself and so I think that's probably been the thing that was beating in the back of my head from the moment I was knocking on doors when I was 12 to the entrepreneurial spirit I bring today but basically my parents said and this is the only word of wisdom I had, they said, well, if you want to get out and you want to be successful, you've got to go to school, you've got to study and find a high paying job that right. based on all that school or, you know, the typical kind of stuff, which is mm -hmm. fair. I think that's sure. true to some degree. And so I knocked it out of the park in high school. I had a 4.3 GPA. I was lettered. I had an associate's degree before I graduated. Like oh. I hustled in school because in my mind, that was the only kind of way out. And Basically, in that process, uh, because we were kind of, you know, under, we, we weren't as privileged as far as being able to apply to schools because it was expensive to apply to all the schools I wanted to be mm -hmm. at. I was a part of this program. It's called QuestBridge. It's an amazing program. It basically allows under, I think, high achieving uh, students who are kind of um, poor in poverty, basically okay. get access to applying to these larger colleges, Ivy league level schools. Wow. And they'll sit you down and do interviews with them. And it's kind of this whole two year long process. So oh, I did that. And the idea is that if somebody says on the other side says, Hey, yeah, we're interested. You get a full ride. So if you interview with one of those colleges, they say they're interested, you get a full ride. Wow. So I interviewed with eight Ivy league schools, Harvard, Yale, uh, Columbia, Northwestern. And it was my spring of senior year, everyone around me was figuring out what colleges they were going to because I had already applied earlier in the year and I was still kind of waiting for the decision and none of them came back. And oh. so this was kind of like my first like, dang, like I was kind of put all my eggs in one basket type of situation. And there are reasons for why that happened. Basically, the program is designed to boost uh, the ethnicity of different universities mm -hmm. around 
the, the world basically, which is incredible, but I'm a white straight guy interested in science. Like I wasn't hitting <laughs> all of the criteria basically. And there were thousands of way smarter people out there who got into these amazing colleges. And this was a lesson I needed to learn though, because I hadn't yet learned to not maybe like bet everything on kind of one outcome. And so I was like, well, now I got to figure out a college. Where am I going to go? I need like, at this point, I had no idea where I was going. So I did some research and I found out ASU had the biggest science budget north of $200 million a year in the entire wow. US. And I said, okay, well, I want to be a scientist. I want to go and study some electrochemistry and, you know, nerd out basically. So yeah. I went down to ASU and I'm from Minnesota. So for all of you listeners, <laughs> that was a challenging uh, transition. <laughs> um, but I basically got into a lab right away. And I started actually teaching a college success course, all because I had networked with my professors around me and realized they needed help. And I was kind of just networking with all of the faculty at the university and it was unlocking okay. a ton of opportunities that I wouldn't have otherwise unlocked as a freshman. And right. this is when I first realized the importance of relationships and communication and just being a human being rather than kind of expecting things to necessarily just happen. You just kind of stay top of mind with people and then they'll open some doors for you. Kind of the whole idea, it's not what you know, it's kind of who you know. And Huge lesson to learn. Yeah, for sure. And so I got into a lab my freshman year. I was in there 16 hours a day, though, working oh. on papers for fuel cells. And <laughs> there's a certain personality that does really well in a lab. Mm -hmm. You can tell so far, I am not that personality. <laughs> and so I didn't really realize this, but I realized I walked into my um, professor's office one day and he had his kind of heads in his hand and he was kind of rubbing his temples and he looked, he's 80 years old, emeritus status at the university. He's been there for decades and wow. he's frustrated. And I'm like, Hey, what's going on? And he was like, the university is giving me a ton of pressure to bring in grant funding for the department, basically to get more research going. And I kind of just like, I don't know what happened, but in that moment, I fast forward in my life and I realized like, this is a giant business, like as cool as the university mm -hmm. is like in the opportunities that can unlock for people. I didn't want to be 80 years old, getting pressure from mm. the university to bring in department funding and produce more research. And like, I kind of just had this epiphany in that moment that like leading up through my entire life, like I was a hustler and I would go get after it basically. And sure what I had learned with relationships. Like I just kind of, it all came together and I realized I want to be an entrepreneur. Like I want to create my own thing. Wow. I didn't know what that was going to look like basically, but in that moment I decided and I dropped out the next day, basically I was. Done. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, how am I going to do this entrepreneur thing? And I realized, well, in order to make money, you have to learn how to sell or at least have some premise for it. And mm -hmm. that's an expensive skill set that I don't necessarily want to hire out or be clueless about. So I got an entry-level sales position, and uh, this is actually where I met Austin. I'm a co-founder of SpeakerFlow. He was okay. uh, my boss originally, <laughs> and uh, together we trained thousands of salespeople and kind of built these sales offices uh, around the nation. And then I went into marketing because I wanted to figure out how to do that at scale rather than building trust one-on-one. -on -one. How do you build trust one-to-many? Mm -hmm. So I do things like SEO and paid ads and websites and this culmination of sales and marketing experience basically allowed me to create a marketing agency. And then somebody approached the marketing agency and said, Hey, well, would you guys market for thought leaders, speakers, coaches, consultants? We're like, what do you mean? Like speakers you listen to? And they're like, no, like people who get on stage. And we're like, 
so the people that we go to conferences and watch, they get paid to be up there. Cause in my mind as a marketer, I thought it was just a marketing vehicle. Like mm -hmm. only you get up on okay. stage, you get exposure and you don't sure. get paid for it. They're like, no, no, they get paid tons of money, five, 10, 15, $20,000. I said, well, great. Sure. I mean, as a marketing agency, that's like best case scenario. We book <laughs> one, two, three gigs. Our entire cost is paid for, for the entire year for them. So why not? Let's give it a try. What could go wrong? Turns out a lot. Um, <laughs> most people, speakers, coaches, consultants, they're solopreneurs. There's mm -hmm. very small teams. They come from places of incredible experience and incredible like life that they've lived, who knows what. But most of the time, it's not in running a business and developing systems and knowing how to sell and knowing how to market. It's They're really good at their thought leadership, their core expertise, their speaking, their transforming of people. But they sign up to run their own business and now they have to wear all of these hats and be a salesperson and a marketer and run the operations and manage systems and all of these issues and so when we turned on the digital faucet for these experts all of those leads just fell through the cracks because they didn't have proper sales process or marketing process or even if they did start closing a lot of deals now they'd be so inundated with delivery that they couldn't focus on growth anymore and they'd be on this constant like roller coaster basically a feast or famine and so we loved working with this group though. And so we tried to figure out like, well, where are the gaps? And every single person that we talked to was basically, I don't know what I don't know when it comes to running the business. There's tons of coaching out there for how to do speaking, how to do coaching, how to do consulting, how to write a book, but there's nothing around how to run the business of this thing. And so because of our systems mind and our scientific kind of mentality, systems mm -hmm. are at the core of our businesses we kind of ran people through a trial run. Like what if we built out these systems for you and then built these core processes in place so that you could then handle a lot of leads and sales volume and delivery and hiring people. And that's when we saw a lot of transformation happen. So that's kind of how the core idea of speaker flow kind of came to be. What a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a brand, um, but thanks for bearing with me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very interesting. And, you know, so now that's where you're at. You're at speaker flow. And just kind of getting into thought leaders. So that's primarily who you work with. Yeah. What do you think it means to be a thought leader? And then when you started this business, what was your approach to really become a thought leader in this space in terms of like, which strategies did you employ? Yeah, man, this is a great question. So um, really a thought leader, like I'm going to, this is controversial. So bear with me. I honestly don't believe any idea hasn't already been said. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the, some of the stuff that we're on stage talking about has been iterated and repeated and gone through a giant game of telephone for the last 2000, 6,000, 10,000. It's, it's life basically, right. you know? So, but what, what that means, especially now that we're in an age of information, I think thought leadership was very different, maybe even 20 or 30 years ago mm -hmm. than it is today all of the information we ever need in the world are on these tiny rectangles that we mm -hmm. carry around in our pockets. And we can find out any bit of information that we need. What a thought leader does though, is distill information down and act as a filter basically, and guides a group of people or an individual. Ideally, if you're a thought leader, though, you're helping many people guides them through transformation to achieve something, to solve a problem. Basically, they're taking all this information that's out there, these really abstract ideas and making them simple to comprehend, taking the complex, distilling it down into simple, easy to understand 
things that people can take action on and see transformation by basically. And I think that's really what makes the difference between maybe somebody who's just out there producing content versus actually a thought leader. They're taking all of these ideas and this information mm -hmm. that we have and changing the way we think about them, basically, not rather going with like the status quo, but being controversial in nature and having ideas that push back from what the normal way of communing about, communicating about something is. And so this is largely what happened when we were starting speaker flows, because we would have to, what we realized is like, if we want to attract thought leaders, we have to be thought leaders about this idea of, of running a better business, basically. And how do we start producing that content? How do you create a brand that's perceived as a thought leadership brand, basically? Right. And in the digital marketing world, there are really a few ways to do this, but the primary two are a primary two, as you can tell, not very specific, but the two you want to think about, these go hand in hand, are content marketing and then partnership marketing. So the idea of content marketing isn't just like writing blogs, but it's producing research. So for example, at Speaker Flow, we have something called the State of the Speaking Industry Report that we run every single year that gets really into the weeds of the metrics of people's businesses who volunteer this information forward. No one else creates this research, and then we can get some extrapolations and understanding from it. So that's one way to be perceived as a thought leader. You create your own research, something that somebody else doesn't have, and you get known for something. The other way, which a lot of your listeners probably employ if they're actively speaking or have these models, if you will, is they'll label a process like the three C's to success or the five mm -hmm. F's to, I don't know what, you know, like there's, <laughs> there's a name to a process, basically something that you've kind of coined that guides somebody through solving a problem that they have. That's a form of thought leadership and content marketing. But really where people have trouble is the masses. How do you get this in front of people? It's pretty easy these days to set up a website, set up a YouTube channel, set up social media. And the number of times I've heard people say, I'm just on social media all the time and I'm not getting mm -hmm. any business from it. And my website isn't doing anything for me. There are many reasons for all of these things, but the core issue is that like, it requires tens of thousands of people to hit your website before you start generating an insane number of leads that start feeding your business because you're generating trust blindly. Cold people are hitting your website, making their assumptions, and then maybe or maybe not submitting a form. And even if they do, they're still, you have to build their trust from ground zero, basically. Mm -hmm. So where partnership marketing comes into play, which is the whole idea of speaking, by the way, is you leverage somebody else's audience who has trust in you to come in and provide information on. So yes, this is what we're doing right here in the podcast. Christy, exactly. you and I have a great relationship. You said, Taylor's got to come on the show. I say, yeah, great. And now I'm leveraging your audience to potentially get people and no one's, no one's like not in tune with this idea, but to get people interested in speaker flow and vice versa, mm -hmm. we bring people on our podcast to do the same. You get on stage to speak, you do webinars, you produce blogs for people like this idea of using partners and their audiences to then generate business just expedites your ability to generate trust. Completely. So you combine these two things together, content marketing and partnership marketing. And then this is how you get the perception of being a thought leader, whether or not you believe that to be true about yourself. There's always that imposter syndrome that could happen. Those two things combined will really elevate you to that status of thought leadership because you're combining your content in volume for people to get acquainted with. Love that. You said that so well. And now specifically um, paid speaking. Yeah. So for a lot of people who either 
you know, just had one or two fall in their lap, but don't necessarily have a strategy or for others who would love to pursue that route, but it can seem a little bit intimidating and aren't sure how to get started. What are some tips that you recommend to, to pursue that? Yes. Okay. So I think let's go with the most common example, which is relatively like ground zero. Like let's make some assumptions though. Let's say you've got a website. It communicates something of how you solve a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got a keynote, whether or not it's perfect is up for debate, but you've got something that you can sell. So we've got that taken care of. And you know what, can we back up? Can you, can you define keynote so that people know, okay, I speak on these things. How do I know if this is a keynote or not? And if it's not, how can I button it up? That's a great question. And thank you for asking for that definition. So the definition of keynote is actually in the name, keynote. It's one thing, one idea to help somebody solve a problem, basically. And so a keynote is basically like your main offer, if you will. Now, some people might have multiple keynotes, multiple topics that they speak on. Although I do recommend really establishing your niche at some point, mm-hmm. or maybe each year you kind of refresh your keynote to keep it current or something. It, the idea of a keynote is that it's kind of like the, the big kahuna of the speaking that you sell, mm-hmm. that five, 10, $15,000 thing. And then you can branch off of that if you need to into different topics or smaller presentations. But when I say keynote, I'm talking really largely about any talk that will put you on stage for a paid amount. And sometimes this will be in the format of a breakout or a workshop or a master class or actually on stage speaking. Um, but the, the lens I always like to think things through is like you're sharing one idea, one process to help people change their action, basically. Does that okay. help? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So let's talk about just getting paid for any one of those things, keynoting, breakouts, workshops. And I think somebody starting from ground zero, mm-hmm. keynotes aren't the thing at like opening keynote, closing keynotes, like at big conferences, you can land a few of those, but you know, there's just no denying that you kind of have to cut your teeth for a little sure. while doing breakouts and workshops and maybe training as it were still kind of getting your content out there. But this is really where you're polishing your craft basically while getting paid for it, which is awesome. So if you're open to this idea of not just keynoting, but breakouts, workshops, master classes, trainings, and so on. Now we just need a process for how do you actually price your keynote? Mm-hmm. Who do you need to reach out to? And how are you going to reach out to them? Now for pricing your talks, what you want to do is not undervalue yourself. A lot of people will be like, I can't even get hired to speak for $500 or $1,000. The big reason is because people aren't used to paying that amount for a speaker or a breakout presenter or a workshop presenter. They're used to paying five, 10, 15, $20,000 for these people. And so if you undervalue yourself and you put that into a sales conversation, the person on the other end is going to be scratching their head asking why you're so inexpensive versus what they're used to paying for. And so my very first advice to anybody out there who wants more paid speaking gigs, be it, be it keynotes, breakouts, workshops, is competitive research. Look at bureaus other speakers are listed on. What are their fee ranges? How long have they been doing it? What are the gaps that they solve? And where do you come in? Who's similar mm-hmm. to you and who's not? Like truly understanding your market. So many people just dive in. They come up with an idea and they say, okay, I build it. They will come. You are wrong. You market it, they will come. But in order to market, you need to understand your market. So the very first thing that needs to happen is a true understanding of your market, who you're up against, what those prices are, and not to undervalue yourself. 
Now, if you're curious about pricing, just start at five grand, just blanket mm -hmm. statement, start at five grand and then increase that fee by $500 every time you get into a sales conversation. And then once you start set, getting a lot of friction, you learn how to sell at that higher level, you move on to the next level, basically. So start at five for every sales conversation. Excellent. But how do you advice. get the sales conversation? Yeah. How do you, how do you get people and, on the phone? Well, and um, bureaus, you know, you're talking about yeah. speaker bureaus. Who are, can you just name, like, who are some of the biggies just so people oh, sure. know? Yeah. Yeah. Washington Speakers Bureau, Champions, they're based out of the UK. Goodman Speakers is another one. We actually have a blog, 30 plus speaker bureaus you should know about as you're on your journey. But I've interviewed a lot of bureau owners, a lot of speaker agents. And the thing about a bureau is they need to, you need to be so crystal clear on your message, who you serve, what gaps you fill in the market, because they're selling on behalf of you and you need mm -hmm. to stay top of mind with them. And most people, most bureaus, agents, and so on, they want to see a speaker doing 100 to $200,000 a year of their own business before they really start booking them on a regular basis. And so if you can start your own active revenue generation yourself, right. mm -hmm. you can go to a bureau and say like, I've sold this this many times. My fee is 15 grand. I only work with these people. And that's the type of relationship that a bureau wants to have with you. And we should have a whole conversation about that if you want to at some point. Um, so bureaus though, don't pursue them too early and mm -hmm. don't think that an agent, a bureau is going to like solve your sales problems because they're not, because if you can't sell yourself, somebody else can't sell yourself, which is uh, going to be a huge problem. Right. But they're so a good place you, for research. They're a good and, place for research. Yeah. Correct. And that's where you want to be digging in early on. Plus understanding the market too, like where are there gaps that you can fill in for that bureau later on? Because if you realize, wow, Champions has all of these speakers on this topic, but they don't have someone like me on this mm. topic, you can kind of know how you can fit into their marketplace when you do that outreach with them. So the question still is how do you get sales conversations? Like if a bureau is going to do it for you, if right. you can't just sign up and like e-speakers, get job board listings, although that can happen occasionally, how are you going to generate your own business? And really this boils down to just prospecting, doing research, what conferences are coming up that you could be a good fit for, finding a decision maker, at least your best guess of who that would be, director of education, meeting and events planners, chief marketing officers, depending on the company and all of that, really doing research, taking mm -hmm. time every week to find maybe 10 or 15 new prospects, and then reaching out to them. And this is where most people go wrong. Most people, they realize I need to find leads. So they get some leads, they sign up for a list or whatever but their outreach falls short. They'll do one email and their first email is their entire life story. And they might follow up a second time. And often they're not going on beyond that point. In sales, it takes seven to 12 touch points to generally get a reply from somebody because there's a trust that needs to get built for them to be interested in having that conversation with right. you. And a reply is the first step after a reply, you got to get them into a sales conversation. Right. And mm -hmm. so there's no magic wand to generating your own business. I promise you, if you're authentic, you're providing value when you're doing your outreach and you're consistent thinking about your mindset as planting seeds rather than harvesting the harvest will come later. And you're consistent with your outreach that seven to 12 touch points, maybe over 12 weeks or so you just maintain that without ever faltering on it. You do it mm -hmm. every single day that you're open Monday through Friday, 30 minutes a day. You don't falter. You will book sales conversations. And then you've figured out how to generate sales calls. 
now you've got to figure out how to close your sales calls on a regular basis. And that's kind of the next level. But usually what I've found is people are so passionate about what they're talking about that closing the deal isn't as hard as getting them into the sales conversation at first. Now, that's such an excellent description of uh, kind of the lay of the land. And I think, you know, we live in such an age of instant gratification. I like how you talk about it is going to take a while, it is going to take a lot of follow-ups. You mentioned 12 weeks, even kind of be prepared to reach out to this group of people for 12 weeks. But I think beyond that, um, because I see this on the podcast booking side as well, if you can maybe just get into because people want to know results. Well, when do I get the results? When do I get the money? And so from the time that you first start doing research, and, and it's going to vary for everybody, but from the time you first start doing research and first start um, getting responses and maybe getting some sales calls, how far in advance typically will people book for a conference? Mm -hmm. Like, is this three months, six months, 12 months? Um, I want people to understand this, you know, it takes a while. And so yeah. can you share a little bit about that? For sure. So everyone listening, I want you to just put yourselves in the shoes of an event planner. You've got a huge event, one that you want to speak at, which means our, our, there should be a lot of people there. Let's call it 200 to 1,000 people. So you've got that many people to show up. You've got uh, a place to host it. You've got enough programming over the number of days of that conference to keep them interested. There's so much work that goes into planning an event. And think about like the contracts that need to get signed with venues, even before a conference. It's not like I can call up a hotel and host an event with a thousand people next weekend. Like they're booked out for years, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time, the planning for conferences particularly happens at a minimum six months out from the next conference, basically. Uh, that's like usually at a minimum. Larger conferences might take time. And some events, they already know their venues years out. Like the National Speakers Association mm -hmm. has their conferences negotiated for like through 2025 or something, right? And this isn't uncommon. So because associations, particularly, their whole job is to keep people engaged and put on events and so on. So they're usually thinking about it well in advance. However, COVID completely changed this when things right. were going virtual and people needed instant help. Like I saw buying windows as short as two weeks. Wow. Where somebody okay. would call up and say, Hey, we need to speak your stat. Now I think as the world has kind of unwound a bit and virtual mm -hmm. and hybrid and live is a more part of our everyday lives. We're kind of going back to that, like three to six month buying window. That's definitely the most common about 90 days out is when they're making the decision, but okay. six months is when they're planning basically. Okay. So if you're reaching out for events, you want to build that relationship before everyone else thinks about it. So I'm not even talking right. six months, I'm talking nine months. Yeah. So if I know somebody has an event June of next year, I'm reaching out three months from now to mm -hmm. start dripping content, providing value. And then as it gets closer, I might tighten up how often I'm reaching out so that I can get somebody on the phone six months from it. And I'm one of their first speakers on their roster rather than their last one. So when you are just starting to do that research, you're looking nine to 12 months at that point, kind of to see what's, what's going on. 
Yeah. And I wouldn't rule off anything sooner, like mm-hmm. three or six months. Cause I mean, okay. honestly, if you feel like you're a really good fit, chances are yeah. they might not have everyone booked up yet. Sure. Because if you start your outreach for some that you're really interested in that may have like, that are really close to happening, you might be surprised. You could always use the, Hey, if a speaker falls short and you need an emergency, call me, I'll be here for you. I've Smart. already walked off the dates. Right. So you can mm-hmm. really add value for somebody that has an event kind of coming up sooner rather than later. Okay. But also those events are great for next next year, they might say, Hey, you know what? Like we already booked our speakers. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. Christy, do you mind if I reach back out, you know, in a few months to talk about your next year's event? Yeah, Mm -hmm. not a problem. That sounds great. Well, now she's already expecting my follow-up, right? So then Mm -hmm. they're kind of already waiting for me when I follow up next time. So if you're looking to start and want to have their best chances, I would say, look for events six to 12 months out so that you have space to nurture those people. Then anybody that has events coming up soon, Mm -hmm. you know, try and sprinkle in additional value that can get you potentially booked. Like that whole idea of if you need an emergency, let me know, but focus more on those people to get ahead of next year, kind of knowing they chances are already planned everything, but Mm -hmm. building a relationship now so that when you do follow up with them four or five months from now, they're kind of expecting it. Yeah, no, that's great. You've given us so many amazing tips. Um, Before we go into more about what exactly what speaker flow is. Is there anything yeah. else that I haven't uh, asked about that you think is like a really important tip for people kind of starting out in this space? Yeah, I think, I don't think there's anything you missed. There's something like I want to like really reinforce, like running a business is arguably the hardest thing you will ever do in your life. I mean, truly like they're granted some other hard things. Don't get me wrong, but it's the thing that will go on forever. And there will be always different problems to solve. There will always be different challenges to overcome. And none of it is a light switch. It just takes iteration and planning and executing and plan, execute, test, plan, execute, test, like (laughs) truly the scientific method here. It Mm -hmm. comes all the way back to that for us. Like if you're patient with yourself, you take a process like the one I outlined seven touch points over a period of time. And you just focus on making that polished rather than looking for all of these magic wands and silver bullets and shiny objects that are out there. You iterating on your own process over time is more valuable than any transplanted process will ever be. So try to limit your distractions as you're growing your business and just trust the process and put all of your effort into refining that before you look for shiny objects that will overpromise and underdeliver. Excellent advice. And I feel like that's such a good segue into speaker flow <laughs> and what you do. So, so share more like what exactly is speaker yeah. flow and how that uh, helps with paid speaking and just the types of people that you work with. For sure. So like, you know, an example is like a, of a system of a process is like mm-hmm. what we outlined with business development, right? Seven to 12 touch points over a period of time and what you're going to say. That's one core process of about 50 we've identified at SpeakerFlow that a lot of people need. Even things like email marketing or mm-hmm. project management after you close a deal. These are all different processes a business will need and they need them at different stages, right? So SpeakerFlow is primarily a coaching company. And we actually didn't even have our own software when we started. I didn't even know that we needed Mm. it at the time. We said, we'll just use technology, whatever's available to help enable people. But really our bread and butter is the process. What are you going to follow in order to see results? And then people, now that you follow a process, who can do it for you if you don't want to be doing it or it's not worth your time? So tech process people. 
Well, we realized we were just reinventing our wheel with every new client we would bring on. We'd customize a CRM the same way every time, the email marketing tool the same way every time. And before you know it, our clients would have a small mortgage and all of this technology <laughs> that they were paying for. And at some point we just said, why isn't there an operating system, like one place to be able to run the business, CRM, email marketing, invoicing, surveys, contract signing, social media management, like all of the things we all need in order to run a digital business these days. So we found one, we partnered up with a company to custom develop a solution specifically for our industry, a custom CRM at the center of 65 different business applications so that people can centralize their small mortgage down to one system for $45 per month per user. Uh, and so got, right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so we got known for two things. First is the implementation of our technology. Like if somebody has a process, they've got people, they just want the system to be able to power up their business and go further. That's fine. Um, but otherwise our coaching program just way leveled up because now we had our technology suite that we could just plant everybody into that was going through our coaching program. We could immediately talk about process. And since we designed the system, we also designed the analytics to help us improve our coaching clients, businesses. And so we can truly help them systemize. So SpeakerFlow in a nutshell is a coaching company designed to help systemize thought leadership businesses across every department they have, which is generally growth, uh, back of office stuff, and then their experience, which is their client delivery. And so if we can identify those core processes, standardize everything, plug it into some tech and help people find the right people to help them as they navigate, they've got a systemized business that takes the guesswork out of running it. Love it. And how long has speaker, speaker flow been uh, around? We just passed our third birthday on oh, May 31st. Congratulations. So, yeah, six months prior to the pandemic. Really good time. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Surviving the pandemic. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that is awesome. Well, you were such a, a wealth of information, Taylor. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for your generosity and everything that you shared. And you guys, if you're listening, they go to speakerflow.com. They have just their libraries, a wealth of information. They have so many great um, free downloads that really don't even require emails. They just let you have it. So um, head on over there. You'll get a lot of questions answered. Um, but if not, if you have more questions, we will have um, way for you to get in touch with, how would you like people, Taylor, to get Shoot in touch with email. you? Send you yeah. an email. Send me an email, Taylor with two R's, T-A-Y-L-O-R-R -R, at speakerflow.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn too, or press the strategy session button on our website. But if you want to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you can just shoot me an email. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Taylor. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Christy. To succeed in business, you need brand awareness, authority, and trust. To get those, you need visibility. Podcasts offer each of these. It's a unicorn platform because it gives you the scarcest resource in digital marketing, attention. Did you know that 80% of podcast audiences listen to the entire episode and more than 50% consider buying from a brand or individual that they discover on a podcast? Building your own show and audience takes years. Grow faster by guest speaking on other podcasts to get more leads, build your SEO, and strengthen your brand. To learn how my agency can help, email me at hello at christybilbury.com.